It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello, and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who are curious about how vaccines work. Yeah, I hope that's everybody. You should all be very curious. Curious is <laughs> one of my favorite ways of being. If you've ever watched, I don't know if this is on other public health stations, but Iowa <laughs> Public Television, when it's like before Downton Abbey or whatever, and there's an ad for some, I think, a cruise line, and they're mm, like, Vikings my father River taught cruises. me, my mother taught me, be curious. <laughs> yeah, those are the Vikings River Cruises. Yeah, and- that's it. <laughs> I man, I would love to take those cruises. I tell my husband that, and he's like, "But you won't take like a Royal Caribbean cruise." I'm like, "Yeah, because it's in the middle of the ocean, and I saw Titanic. And if, <laughs> and if we sink, I'm not letting you on the door. So, doesn't matter how big the door is. I know on gigantic river- ballroom door, but just it's just yours. It's just Karen, that's right because. Because you didn't listen to me. And with the river cruise, like, you could just swim to shore because it's right there. Still pretty cold, I think, in some of those places that they cruise. Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Anyhow, my name is Karen Ernst. I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician here at Blank Jones Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And we are just doing a fun old vaccines year in review this year. There were so many things that happened, and I think you'll enjoy it. I actually um, I went through and curated all of the things that we're going to talk about. I don't know. I mean, we could talk for hours about everything that happened this right. year because a lot happened. But I just tried to pick some highlights for each month, and it is sort of a whirlwind everything that happened to us this year concerning vaccines but it's all been so positive just a wonderful wonderful year for public health wouldn't you agree nothing but upsides Uh upsides all around and this is really more of a review of of newsworthy events we're not necessarily Mm -hmm. detailing a lot of the anti-vaccine misadventures that have occurred that's true they get enough of our headspace We don't need <laughs> to spend an entire year reviewing them. There's enough newsworthy stories that we have. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let's okay. start with traveling back in time to January of 2022. And that is when we first were learning about Omicron. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we'd already gone through, you know, we've gone through the the alpha and the delta waves. And so to start to see Omicron take over and really start to become the variant that even people that have been meticulous in trying to avoid getting COVID start to catch was really something. You know, it's it's been quite a year with everybody. Like one of the things that's been difficult when we're talking about talking to people about vaccines is still talking about this idea that vaccines reduce your risk of catching the disease and reduce your risk of getting complications and reduce your risk of spreading to others. But ultimately, as Omicron has gone on, we've seen it, you know, eventually uh, almost everybody is catching COVID. And so we're still showing though, with all the information that we have, that severity is lessened and that transmission is still lessened. I did a whole Twitter thread on reduced transmission. Oh, oh, good, because that is certainly one of the talking points that, you know, vaccines don't stop transmission, but they, cert- they certainly do reduce it. 
And, you know, the thing with Omicron, so the the headline that I pulled from CNN was the highly contagious Omicron variant will find just about everybody, (laughs) Fauci says, but vaccinated people will still fare better. And I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, as far as going out on a limb with a prediction, Mm -hmm. gosh, that was very accurate. Yep. I have not yet caught Omicron. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, I... I I did manage to... (laughs) Well, I caught Delta. Yeah, okay. So I am 14 I months. held off for Omicron. Omicron was my well, my I strain. I understand that. Like, I understand being like Delta is just not good enough for yeah. me. It needs something more developed for right. my refined yeah. palate. But, I, you know, part of it might be that I was one of the very first people to get my bivalent booster. Mm-hmm. And that I had had Delta and that I'd had my first two vaccines. Mm-hmm. So I'd kind of, you know, I have built some sort of immunity along the way to a lot of different variants, or it could just be that I am tremendously lucky. Yeah, that, I mean, I think all the all the above. I did have my bivalent booster. I would, I, I definitely attribute that to making my course of illness milder. Um, and for mm-hmm. me, it was like actually very similar to colds I've had in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I never I got a fever. Uh, I had maybe some aches, a lot of sore throat, though. That was definitely the presenting sign that I had and that a lot of people have is sore throat. And they're coming in and thinking about strep or something like that, and I'm always testing for COVID. Absolutely, absolutely. And there there was also something going around this fall. I know I took one of my kiddos in, and he had a sore throat, a very bad sore throat, and it wasn't COVID, and it wasn't the flu, and it wasn't strep. <laughs> and we were like... yeah guess what i guess people get sore throats right and i'm actually seeing that a lot in clinic right now that's a lot of sore throat non-strep non-covid illness i'm seeing so there is definitely you know there's multiple viruses of course we see viral pharyngitis all the time Mm -hmm. so that that's i think there is i don't know exactly what the virus is that's causing it but i think there's a very common virus right now that's causing non-strep non-covid sore throat but i'm also seeing right now in clinic some COVID, tons of influenza. Mm-hmm. But anyway, not to jump too far ahead in the future here. You shouldn't know too much about your future, Marty. Right, Marty. But yeah, the Omicron variant really dominated this year. And Dr. Anthony Fauci was prescient with his declarations that pretty much everyone will get it. That is very true. People who were incredibly safe and we're taking precautions. I saw a lot of them get Omicron. So, and it's it's just one of those things also. The other thing I wanted to say about Omicron, actually, we'll say it next. The other thing I want to say about Omicron really has to do with vaccine equity. And so that brings us into um, what I pulled for February is this discussion about how vaccines were not being distributed equitably mm-hmm. across the world. And continue to not be. And exactly. Um, and continue to not be, and uh, with the you know the problem with COVID making things look very different in very in different parts of the world, but mm-hmm. also you know last February, looking at the origins of Omicron, this may have had something to do with vaccine equity itself, mm-hmm. because it came from South Africa, probably from a person who's immunocompromised, and had was unable to shake the virus and had it bouncing around in their body for a while making all sorts of new and different variants and so 
Omicron's the one that sort of took over. Yeah. But it's one of those things that if, you know, more people had been vaccinated, if more people had been able to access vaccines, if more people had been at the point where they wouldn't have been transmitting it to the immunocompromised people around them, mm-hmm. perhaps we would be living in a very different world right now. Yeah, we absolutely should be investing far more in global health, like every country that can. And it's not just that it's right and equitable, but that mm-hmm. it also fights pandemics better. <laughs> because you can't only it's it's similar to how um you know if you're a vaccinated person in an unvaccinated community you're more likely to get the disease than if you're an unvaccinated person living in a vaccinated community if you're a well vaccinated country and lots of countries are not well vaccinated mm-hmm. that's still then every country is still at a greater risk than if we can vaccinate every country so yeah it, and that's that's a major failing that that we've all had this year and last year it absolutely is and we really are always short-sighted when it comes to global health we're always failing to see how our disinvestment in public health globally is going to bite us in the keister for more pandemics, more outbreaks, more scary diseases that will come into the future. This also reminds me a little bit of sort of slightly different, but in China, how they are refusing to use any vaccines developed outside China. Mm, And my, my understanding is that the Chinese vaccines are not terribly good and that they still have their zero COVID policy Right. Which, of course, has led to all of the protests in China. Mm-hmm. And so they're on the brink of something terrible happening to them concerning COVID because there's basically no immunity to COVID built up in China, be it from people getting sick or sure. from people having a really good vaccine. Yep. And that could also, you know, this lack of cooperation globally... And this, and this might be mostly on China, but the lack of cooperation globally really puts us all in a bind. We really do need to think globally. Well, and it's really tough when we talk about, like, where do we go with COVID? You know, people who are in favor of, like, zero COVID strategies, that's a very difficult thing to wrap your head around if we don't have global buy-in, if we don't have a global effort to reduce COVID. It would be nearly impossible <laughs> if we did not have a concerted global effort, which we are nowhere near having. So that's very frustrating. And and you can't really have any, you know, if you don't have good vaccines, uh, the vaccines are a cornerstone here. So, uh, I, the, you know, even talking, we talk about all the precautions you can take. I still say to people, the number one thing that you can do is be vaccinated and stay up to date on your boosters. Mm-hmm. I like that, Nathan. I'm going to take your advice. <laughs> All right. When we came into March, mm-hmm. I don't even know. We were talking if about were... kids. We were talking about I, kids. You know, and this were... article is on a paywall for me, so I haven't been able oh. to read the whole thing, and I don't remember all the details <laughs> going back to March on the um, approval yeah. of the coronavirus vaccine, or sorry, the COVID vaccine for uh, younger kids. I do because I was very angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in March, as we were being told that the the White House had said, oh, we're going to have a Pfizer vaccine for our youngest children. It's going to be great. And we're going to approve it in 10 days. And everyone was like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Because there were the early findings were that the vaccine really wasn't working 
in kids that we hadn't gotten the dose right at that point. And, you know, we were talking behind the scenes, those of us who do vaccine confidence work, mm-hmm. about just being like, hey, there's a vaccine if you want it. Uh, you know, right. like how we can't promote, we can't say go get this vaccine to protect your kids. We're not going to tell people an untruth about vaccines. Right, right, right. Um, since then, they adjusted the doses. Mm-hmm. I think that's helped. But uh, at the time, it was really just this incredibly like, let's push this through real fast. And the reason I wanted to highlight this particular article was that it was sort of the beginning of this sort of push and pull between public health, public health agencies, advocacy groups, vaccine organizations, nonprofits, and sort of the White House. Uh And the White House seemed to be coming out this year and making a lot of declarations about what was going to happen. Yep. We're still seeing that. That's frustrating. Exactly. It seems like sometimes we're bypassing the FDA, we're bypassing ACIP, and I could be wrong. You know, it's hard to know when you're sitting on this side of it exactly what's happening, but it is one of those things where it is hard for those of us who've said all of this is done transparently to feel like Mm -hmm. it isn't as transparent as it could be, and this was the first sort of foray into dabbling with the White White House – Wagging the dog, so to speak, of yeah. public health. Yep. Yeah, and then we see this like more recently with the declaration that it's one shot per year. That's the plan. Like that's should not be coming from the White House. That and that that's not even something we can say yet. That may exactly. be a goal. That's great. Say it as a goal, but it's being used as like, um, you know, kind of like. <laughs> campaign promise style stuff that, mm-hmm. that it's being used as. And that's very frustrating. There's a lot of things to criticize and you and I are both freely criticizing things that decisions that are made sometimes overall, the reality continues to be that the vaccines, you know, the data and the safety and the efficacy all indicate you should get vaccinated. There's definitely things like that. that are you know, the communication decisions and coordination decisions and political involvement that is that has been frustrating throughout this pandemic in both administrations that have been part of this pandemic. Amen. And, you know, part of it, too, is it's sort of changed the way we do things, that we've been relying a little bit more on our scientific advisory board, which includes Stanley Plotkin, Paul Offit, Alan Hinman, Deborah Wexler and a bunch of other folks who are amazing, like Nate Chomolo and Angela Shen. And I'm just going to end up listing all of them. Lots of people on our scientific advisory board and saying, you know, is this good policy? Is this something that we should be promoting? And really looking at the science a little more deeply, making sure that we understand it as an organization, that our scientific advisory board is behind how we're promoting things. And so that we know we're still telling the truth to people. That's really, really key for us. And so if there comes a time when it's like, hey, take this vaccine, it's the best. And we're like, you know, like with the children's vaccines in March, we were prepared to be like, you don't have to get that shot. You know, if it makes you feel better, definitely do it. But we're not going to push this one on you. Mm -hmm. And that leads right into the next one. Now we're into May, May 5th, uh, my birthday, by the way. Um, And so with all of this impact, especially when it is around 
childhood vaccinations leads to increased vaccine hesitancy. And we're very concerned about routine childhood vaccination rates being affected as all of these things are utilized, all of these communication issues and decision-making mm-hmm. non-transparencies are used as gambits to allow the anti-vaccine movement to create more fear and doubt, not just about COVID vaccines, but about all vaccines. And it's not, I mean, that would be going on if there weren't these missteps in terms of communication and politics. The anti-vaccine movement would churn out this stuff unabated, but we're definitely concerned about this impact. Now, a lot of it, we don't know yet. Like a lot of things you can say, okay, polls and parent intent is one thing, but actual like what happens when it's time to get vaccinated is another. And it's very difficult to suss that out right now because we know we're in kind of a vaccine deficit on account of the actual pandemic itself, making people Mm -hmm. skip appointments and not go out and not get the shots and whatnot. But there are signs that this is going to be an impact. I mean, this is scarier than we've had it, I think, as vaccine advocates who've been doing this for a long time and and keeping an eye on the lay of the land. We've seen in the past about times when we're like, oh, we're really worried about how this is going to impact things. This is really impacting things. This is more than, you know, oh, Jenny McCarthy's words and all the kind of stuff that we dealt with in the past. Now that we have a pandemic that's been politicized, made Mm -hmm. partisan, that we've seen the anti-vaccine movement um, associate itself with other groups that are also, and it's not just the, you know, it's not just the vaccine landscape. Of course, there's awful things going on in in the country and the world that are all kind of the same whole sort of general mishmash. And it's frightening when, you know, just from in our little neck of the woods, when we talk about vaccine advocacy, it's it's going to have an mm-hmm. impact. Right. And I think part of that, too, is that at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, when all of a sudden people discovered that vaccines were a thing, mm-hmm. there were a number of groups that would have been wonderfully poised to help with vaccine rollout, building vaccine right. confidence. But instead... <laughs> Groups that had never done it before mm-hmm. got enormous grants, enormous grants to do the work and mm-hmm. stepped in. And I remember being like, no, please don't go door to door and knock on people's doors and ask them if they've been vaccinated. Please do not do that. They did right. it anyway. They did it anyway. And I was just like, do you not understand like how intrusive that is? Mm-hmm. There are other ways. You know, it turned out, okay, the groups, I mean, at least a number of the groups were really open to partnering and listening to us. But again, they had all the money and we were just being there like, oh, we're just cute and have been doing this for a decade. It's fine. Or, you know, vaccinate your family like, oh, it's fine. We've just been here since the 70s. But. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, with that going on and with everybody just really wanting to hate each other. And the big thing, too, that, you know, we had been trying to do around vaccines is to not make them a moral issue, not make them an issue of I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, a lot of times I would use the the term incorrect. They've made an incorrect or a risk assessment, Mm -hmm. but it's not that they're wrong. They just didn't see the full picture yet and that was sort of just brushed to the side and it was I'm right you're wrong I'm better than you I got vaccinated you're a dummy that's why you're dying ha 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 
and from the other side as well like oh you're getting vaccinated and now your brains are exploding ha 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 you're awful you're evil you're eating baby brains you're trying to steal the election like all these things just like on both sides it's just become an absolute standoff yeah and it's really too bad because even before the pandemic and before this current political environment you know you and i we have always been very careful to talk to people about vaccine hesitancy and not labeling in that way you know save those labels for the clear misinformers that are influencing people and 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 making you know changing minds to to endanger themselves and their families but people who are making these decisions they're the people that i see in clinic and i i enjoy my families even the families that don't always make decisions that i know are best for their kids I understand every one of these families is coming from a different position. And I'm thinking of like non-vaccine related things, right? There's right. stressors, there's environmental things. There's, there's a lot of factors that are causing these outcomes for these kids and labeling in that way does not help coming up with solutions and educating helps. And it's really too bad that that, I mean, it's not surprising because again, it's not like this is just the vaccine discussion that has evolved into this. This is the global, this is the, discussion of everything now that has evolved into mm-hmm. um, this difficulty with uh, having these conversations and understanding that which is not to say that we should condone things that are endangering to people or that are awful to people but we also have to also be able to figure out the the solutions we have to also recognize that if we want the change we have to be able to find ways to get people to do the thing yeah <laughs> and, and that is not fixed by labeling and and those kinds of things like it's true that kind of hatred yeah yeah it's true no one ever saved someone's life by creating a division yeah but that actually so that whole discussion leads (laughs) to our next three later later in may and then june Mm -hmm. and july so let's take those one at a time yeah later in may they discovered that although uh, well, what happened in May is that we reached the landmark of 1 million COVID deaths in mm-hmm. the United States, which is absolutely catastrophic. I think it is much larger than people imagined it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I remember when they were talking, you know, we could have as many as 250,000 right, people die. Right. And that was an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. But the worst part of that is that after vaccines became available, mm-hmm. 641,000 people died. And of those deaths, half of them could have been averted. So we could have saved 318,981 um, deaths, lives, yep. sorry, had every eligible adult gotten vaccinated which i mean just proves that it's never just about us yeah i i don't know what else to say to that like i look at that and i'm just like my gosh like we have this tool it was an easy tool to use uh so many lives could have been saved and again if it wasn't for i mean obviously it's not all misinformation it's also access it's also equity it's all of the above but yeah Mm -hmm. that's such a loss that was preventable yes i mean every single one of those lives was a person was a human being Mm -hmm. who did not have to die then i mean i had two high school classmates who died from covid after the vaccines became available and i'm i'm not young but (laughs) i'm not at the high risk age either but then in in june we had Hmm. in minnesota we had some unvaccinated kids bringing measles back to minnesota yeah Yeah, an old friend (laughs) 
<laughs> and it hardly caused a ripple of news. I know. Yeah. No one talked. We had 22 cases of measles in Minnesota in the year 2022. Yeah. No one talked about it. Nope. I mean, the, the yeah, local and, news would be like, oh, there are measles cases. In other news, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't think we saw. There's some stuff on, I forget which site it is. One of the CDC sites actually reported some for Iowa, but we're pretty sure those are an error of some kind because oh. we were calling the state and being like, okay, what's going on? This site says measles, and they're like, no, I, I think this is an error. But you guys actually had measles. so. Yeah, and I, I'm relying on Minnesota Department of Health data. Yeah. Yep. But I, I will say that uh, we also had 77 cases of measles in Ohio mm-hmm. as of last month. Yeah. 29, 29 uh, of those people were hospitalized. And yeah. I don't want to go into too much depth of those, but there is a possibility that the Minnesota and Ohio cases are linked. Yeah. And let's, you know, review that historically measles being the most, if not one of, if not the most contagious viruses on the planet is considered the canary in the coal mine for Mm -hmm. the diseases. When we see measles outbreaks, it's so easy to prevent. And the vaccine is so effective that we know if we start to see measles outbreaks, that means there must be a significant breakdown in that community of, of vaccines and of, of there must be low vaccination rates. And when we start to see that, we know that's the first one that we'll see before we potentially see other outbreaks, which right. <laughs> moving on to seven and eight. Right. <laughs> Going on in the year in July, <laughs> we saw, uh, I'm laughing, this is not funny. Not, not funny, yeah. Not funny that a man in Rockland County, New York, became the first person to contract polio in, in the United States in nearly a decade. So this is someone who was who got it from being in the United States. So that's mm-hmm. the, the, the worst part of it. And later in the year, New York was testing their wastewater and finding polio virus in the wastewater, which means it's sort of like mice. If you mm-hmm. see a, a mouse in your home, you don't have a mouse in your home. You have at least right. 10 mice in yeah. your home. Yep. If you see a case of paralytic polio in your community, you don't have a case of polio in your community. And that's not because they're not diagnosed necessarily. It's, well, I mean, they're not diagnosed, but people have to keep in mind that polio is, we always think of it, we think of the neurologic complications, but polio inherently is a gastrointestinal illness that is actually often asymptomatic or not distinguishable really in any significant way from other gastros and diarrhea and whatnot or other nonspecific viral kind of signs. It's only a small percentage that actually develop neurologic signs of any kind and a smaller percentage that actually develop that paralysis that we associate with polio. Absolutely. So part of the issue is that the vaccine we use in the United States is very good at protecting the individual, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't create that sort of gastroimmunity that the oral polio vaccine does. And so if you, you know, you will find it in the wastewater if it's circulating. It's not as though like this highly vaccinated community is stopping it from circulating. Someone could have polio pass through their system and then the on an individual level, they create enough immunity that it causes no illness and then they don't have it anymore because they were yeah. vaccinated. 
the problem is when you have a whole bunch of people in the community who haven't been vaccinated and then you have people you know this young man who was paralyzed by polio which is absolutely a thing that should not be happening in the year 2022 but it is you know how how we're seeing the world develop right now people being more afraid of the technology that we create to protect ourselves than they are of the horrible natural viruses that used to strike absolute fear in the hearts of parents. So there we go. That's yeah. It was, it was an uplifting year, wasn't it? I know. <laughs> COVID, measles, polio, and then. And then, in August, the Biden administration said, "Guess what, monkey." The monkeypox outbreak, it's a public health emergency. This is a big deal. We've got monkeypox. Between mid-May and <laughs> the beginning of August, the United States saw 6,600 po- probable or confirmed cases of monkeypox. We had them in every state except for Montana and Wyoming. And that's because nobody lives in those states. <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, dang. <laughs> You just want to bring in those one-star reviews, I see. <laughs> all, all three of them. Except for our friend Holly. And so, you know, monkeypox really was going through the community of the LGBTQ community, particularly men who have sex with men. and But it was a threat to everybody. I know we mm-hmm. saw some kids getting monkeypox because it is spread, I guess, from touch. Mm-hmm. And it's very painful. The strain that was going around wasn't particularly lethal, but some strains of monkeypox are super lethal. And I used to think monkeypox wasn't a real disease because it sounds made up. Mm -hmm. But it's real. And I learned that (laughs) this year, unfortunately. And it also is one of those diseases that just shows how important global health is. Yeah. I actually was, I mean, I, I had a case, uh, like a, a rash, uh, some lesions going on in a kid years ago where I was actually trying to figure out, like, could this be monkeypox? It did not turn out to be monkeypox. So it was on my radar a little bit. Interestingly, like... I remember prior to the pandemic and prior to these monkeypox cases, anti-vax sources claiming that, you know, we didn't get rid of chickenpox. We just renamed it all these other poxes that you see. Mm-hmm. And then monkeypox. I'm like, really? You're telling me that chickenpox? No, mon- Do you see any monkeypox around? No. Well, of course, now we have monkeypox. But <laughs> you see that now. Um, and I actually have seen this recently on Twitter where people are, you know, some like germ theory deniers are trying to claim that you can't tell the difference between all this This is how we know that it's not a virus it's no one can tell the difference between monkeypox and chickenpox and blah 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 i'm like okay well not worth my time you have to understand that these are people who don't realize that microscopes exist right yeah so it's i mean they probably didn't have access to microscopes in their school and this is another example of how it was difficult like 
you saw some frustration with equitable distribution of the vaccine to people who needed access to it, couldn't get it. You know, I was fortunate to not have, you know, it's, yeah, there were some cases in kids, but relatively low and it's not as much of an impact as some other diseases. So this didn't affect my practice too much to have to worry about it, though I got plenty of questions. You know, this was certainly something that we've gone through where it's been another example of how, although, you know, the vaccine works and the vaccine is great, rollout and communication and doing things in an equitable manner has been an issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to get those vaccines to everybody. We cannot keep them to ourselves alone. Well, September, fortunately, was like, hey, let's take it easy <laughs> and <laughs> and just like try to scare parents about routine vaccines, routine childhood vaccines by saying that they're linked to asthma. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't see this make too much of a splash, actually. I remember this uh, study coming out, and it's mm-hmm. it's worth – I don't have the details off the top of my head. There's been actually a number of studies. You know, this isn't the first study to look at this, and the accumulation of evidence over the decades has not shown a link between childhood vaccines and asthma. So when you have one that suggests that maybe there is and that it's a relatively small increase and it wouldn't be something that I would want to put my kid at risk for all these diseases, for right um it definitely needs to have a more definitive study but there's enough confounding factors that it's very difficult to that nobody should really be hanging their hat on one particular study or the most recent study because we have a fair amount of studies i have them all bookmarked looking at asthma allergies and atopy which is just like allergic state and vaccines and not finding links no, yeah, absolutely. It's not like this is the first one person to ever think of this. I, I heard this study described as vaccines have aluminum and kids mm-hmm. have asthma. Yeah. <laughs> and we actually did an emergency podcast with Paul Offit on this. He was right, really, right. I will say, I think one of the things that happened that made this not take off as much as it could have in the misinformation no-sphere or make it jump from the misinformation osphere to the mainstream world was that a lot of us saw the study when it was still embargoed mm-hmm. and were prepared with some really good messaging so that parents could understand immediately. You know, like I said, it's yeah. easy when you say to someone, the study just says vaccines have aluminum and kids get asthma, but it doesn't actually connect them. They they get that, well, that's doesn't seem like something to worry about. But really, I think that the amount of information that came out right away, sort of pre-bunking this before people heard anything about it, the press coming out and saying, oh, hey, we've got the, like, we've got the full story on this, that there were experts going to the press saying, hey, this is what you need to know about this study. So mm-hmm. I think that actually helped. And this is an example of, you know, the people who've been doing this for a long time, like, you know, us vaccinate your family, Paul Offit, you know, the people who are the tried and true members of vaccine confidence building knew what to do next. And I, and yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to give all of us too much credit, but I do think that that helped it not swirl around as a piece of misinformation. But my my perception, I think you're right. I think all that work was important. My perception of seeing it pop up and be used is also that I do think that there's a serious, I mean, this is why the anti-vaccine movement cannot be taking 
taken seriously as any kind of advocacy organization because they have such a a boy that cried wolf problem Mm -hmm. in that they'll take any piece of shiny garbage and pretend like it is the, you know, the thing that's going to bring the whole vaccine empire down Mm -hmm. and promote it like that. And then when you have an actual study that's, you know, even if not definitive or demonstrating causative, but, but important and worth looking at and worth evaluating those of us on the, pro-vaccine side are like, this is really important. We don't want to blow this out of proportion, but yeah, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to, you know, weigh these risks and we want this to be pursued. We want to have this research done. And whereas the anti-vaccine movement, it's on the same amount of blast as all the other things that are worthless and done by disreputable people or debunked or whatever. And I do think that, like, even in the anti-vaccine world, they don't know they don't know the difference between right. what's worth paying attention to and what's not. And so, and and everybody, not everybody, but like people see stuff from their sources, they're like, oh yeah, there's another thing that they think is real and whatever. I, right. I just don't know if they can get real stuff much traction. No, that is really really true. That's very true. They get shinier stuff, more traction, right? All the documentaries and all that stuff. That's. Oh, you mean you mean that, the things that they're making money off of? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> those things. But those are actually the things that can like get some traction as well, just because they look flashy. Mm-hmm. Whereas the real science, like they have a hard time with that. <laughs> it's it's true. It doesn't, and that's why the good science has you know a little bit of a hard time getting traction too, right? True. Mm-hmm. All right. Fortunately, that was the end of misinformation for the year. Oh, absolutely. Wait. wait a minute. October came around, and the CDC scheduled an ACIP meeting to make COVID vaccines part of routine childhood immunizations. Yeah. Which, which brought up Tucker Carlson. Oh my gosh. So you get, do have to go back. I don't remember which episode it was, but when we when we did the our version of the OK Stop video, uh, like recording, it's really worth listening to because the way that this evolved from hey we're going to talk about adding it like basically putting it onto the graphic that's on our website of of childhood immunizations in such a way that it's like more official, right? It's not as if there's any real teeth to it, right? It's just like it's going on the schedule to they're going to mandate it. The CDC is mandating in all the schools and it's going to become required because of the, you know, Biden administration CDC (laughs) to then the pushback of no, everybody says that, you know, all the, all the, all the pushback is about, no, that's not how school schedules are. Schedules are decided. CDC doesn't do that. That's not a national government kind of thing too. Well, oh, but the school schedules use the schedule, the (laughs) CDC schedule to decide. So really it is kind of like forcing. No, 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 it's not. (laughs) No, that doesn't work that way. That's why your kids are not, you know, mandated to have their HPV vaccines. Mm -hmm. Or flu shots. shots. I think part of this is just culture war. Oh, yeah. It's all culture war. Well, yes, it's all culture. I was (laughs) trying to be nice about it. Yeah. But this whole, like, idea of mandate became very 
political football. I'm going to score some points. You're going to be afraid of being told what to do because no one likes to be told what to do. No one yeah. trusts the CDC. I'm Tucker Carlson. I make doofy faces when I talk. I'm sorry. That was a that was a pot shot, but it was also well deserved. You know, and and just making people afraid. Fortunately, like it just passed and there was like no absolutely no fallout from that. Yeah, no. It was it was fine. Everybody was like, oh, now we get it. We're not worried about COVID vaccines or schools. And until November came. <laughs> so that is when the elections took place at the beginning yep. of November. And we had a bunch of people saying mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff about vaccines on the campaign trail right out of the Tucker Carlson playbook. Yep, and it's it, it's interesting to me to watch candidates who have never talked about vaccine mandates um, then all of a sudden that's an issue that they're saying, oh, I will fight against these unconstitutional mandates and stuff. I had one of my senators do that, and I'm like, did you fight against uh, our Republican, our last Republican governor when he required meningitis for schools? Yeah. I don't remember you going into a tear about how unconstitutional you thought that was, but now all of a sudden. <laughs> well, and I will say, so the article I linked to that I'll put in the show notes is one that I was quoted in. And it's like, I actually think it was an NPR article, so you can listen to me too. And I think I sound really goofy in it. I, I was. Are saying, you making goofy faces? I'm making I'm making doofy yeah. voices. In fairness to Tucker, we're all making doofy faces. Yeah, it was a pot shot to me. We're all doofies. <laughs> but it was about Scott Jensen who wanted to be my governor, but he is not mm-hmm. my governor. Thank right. goodness. Unfortunately, not every state can say the same yeah. thing about their anti-vaccine yep. governor candidates. And we have 2024 coming up, um, and I am terrified. I don't even I don't even want to think about it. That's all I'll say. I'm just, yep. I'm terrified, period. And now we're in December. Yeah. And here and we are. here we are. It feels like, it feels like the year had its own narrative. And I didn't pick the, like, I actually did this in reverse order. I did not mm-hmm. pick these, these topics, like, according, like, I really just, like, went back and looked at each month. Mm-hmm. But it feels like there's a narrative that goes from, you know, Omicron's going to get everyone we're being inequitable about vaccines. Uh, the vaccine might be recommended, but it doesn't work for kids. Misinformation about COVID vaccine makes people not want to get kids vaccine. People yep. died. Measles in Minnesota, polio in New York, monkeypox everywhere, aluminum and asthma, Tucker Carlson election. And then we get to December and the and actually, this is from last Friday. Opposition to school vaccine mandates has grown significantly, study finds. So this is yeah. not COVID vaccine mandates. This is people nope. being like, if you want to get vaccinated or not, it's not the school's business. And I'm just reading this. So that is up from, so 35% of parents oppose requirements that children receive routine immunizations in order to attend school. And that is up from 20% from 2019 before the pandemic. I mean, right now, political affiliation is a huge impact on one's views on vaccinations and and 
not just mandates, but vaccinations in general. I, I'm kind of, I am just reading this, so I, I would like to know a little bit more about how the survey is worded. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah. It feels accurate to me. I will just yeah. say in and amongst the work that we do, and I know there are going to be people who live in very liberal states who will find this really shocking and inaccurate. And I just want to put out there that as someone who lives in a purpley state surrounded by red states, this feels <laughs> super, super accurate yeah. that there's a lot of like, I don't care if you get vaccinated, even among people who vaccinate their children, sure. vaccinate on schedule, that there is some amount of, well, I guess it's none of my business. You can't mandate things. You can't force parents to do things. Right. So I want to go through a little bit of, why we ask kids to be vaccinated for school. Mm-hmm. Nathan, what the heck? Why yeah. does it matter if kids get vaccinated for school? Why <laughs> do you care if my kid's vaccinated if yours already is? Don't your oh. vaccines work, Nathan? Uh, there's so many layers here. It's like Shrek and the onion and the parfait. It's, <laughs> um, so, I mean, when we talk about vaccine mandates, for the most, like, if that were true, if it was just, if I, if I were deciding for myself to immunize and we weren't worried about transmission, then we would say, okay, fine. You know, yes, it's, we still want to save lives. And I don't know if we'd say, okay, fine, but we'd be like, okay, there's an argument there that, that this impacts you and you're going to have to make that choice as a grown person to do that or not. And we want you to, we want people to live and we want to, you know, not have as much costs in the healthcare system from having people go in the hospital and whatnot. But there's that argument, that kind of self-autonomy argument, right? When we start talking about kids in schools, we're talking about a lot of other layers that are not just personal autonomy. So first of all, we're talking about kids and kids we do things, we allow adults to do things to themselves. We don't allow happen to kids. And so sure, you can make some of those riskier decisions for yourself, but there's a point where we have to like say, okay, you're making a risky decision for a kid. How much are we going to allow this? And of course that's proportional to the danger, but also proportional to what the risk is, like what's the risk and benefit. And when you're just deliberately doing something that does nothing but increase a child's risk, does not provide them with any, you know, it's one thing to be like, okay, should kids be allowed to go to a trampoline park? Well, there's the risk of an injury, but also exercise is good for you and social activities are good and all these other things, right? But with vaccines, it's pretty much binary. It's like you are increasing your risk by not vaccinating a child, all right? Without any other contraindications or any other any other thing by the numbers, kids are safer if they're vaccinated. So that's one thing, but then we get into the public school discussion, which is public school is for everybody. We talk about equity. Public school should be equitable. We should be able to provide children the safest and best possible learning environment. And that means reducing their risk, regardless of who they are, regardless of what their immune status is, their medical stat, their, their medical needs are. There's all kinds of kids in a school and they all deserve to be in the safest envir- learning environment possible. And so that is why for nearly all of these diseases, this can be transmitted in schools with like the exception of say tetanus, you know, that's why it's important to require these vaccines for schools so that we don't have outbreaks, so that we don't have kids that are unprotected and not able to learn. And there's a lot of other things to get into when we talk about mandates, but those are the main things. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to step down from this box. 
<laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. Way back in, in my day, I went to kindergarten roundup and I got the sugar cube with the drop of polio mm-hmm. vaccine on it. We got our we got our vaccines at kindergarten roundup. And my mom was really on board with vaccines, very excited to get me all the vaccines just because they remembered all of these diseases. You know, they were baby boomers and remembered not being able to go to the pool because of polio or classmates who had walking difficulties because of polio. My dad claims that measles almost killed him, that he was so sick. I think he was just very, very sick. I think measles makes you very sick. I don't think he was really near death, but don't tell him I said that. You know, all these diseases that my parents saw and they were happy to get me vaccinated, when they were told they had to for me to go to school, they agreed to that. They thought, this is good. Yeah, thank you. Check up on this. Do we have all the vaccines we need for my daughter? Oh, we do. Thank you. In the same way that when I brought my youngest son in to the screening for kindergarten when he was four years old, one of the things we were having trouble with was understanding what he was saying. And I said, you know, I'm concerned about this. Can you check up on that? And she listened to his speech and said, actually, his speech is very clear. He just talks super fast. He still does. Oh my gosh, he's the fastest talker in the world. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, I'll be like, slow down. Say it again. Say it again. And he's 14. But that's just because he has so much to say. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was very grateful to have that screening before he went into school, to have the double check of his vision and hearing before. He, you know, all of those things, you know, I'm I'm happy to do it. And turn over your vaccine records. Absolutely happy to do that. Keep my kids safe. Keep his classmates safe. Happy to do that. And that was the year, oh, I don't even, 2012. And in the last year, 10 years, people have just been thinking, I'll do to my kids what I want to do to my kids, and it's none of your business. Yeah. And, we, and we don't care about each other. And now that we've just lived through a pandemic together, could have saved 400,000 more lives than we did if we'd all just gotten vaccinated. We just really don't care. So yeah. happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I think back to the early pandemic. Remember how we had the discussions of how we felt like, oh, when the vaccines are coming, this is going to be such a great learning tool, teaching tool mm-hmm. uh, to show people the impact of vaccines. And how, like, this is going to be great for the pro-vaccine movement. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I mean, it everybody was. Everybody have that, a good end of the year. We, we certainly learned a lot. Yes. <laughs> Future predictions. What's the, what's the big news story going to be I, in 2023? I, uh, I don't. I don't even want to predict. But come on, <laughs> Anthony Fauci did. Remember, yeah, back to I'm gonna January. leave. I'm gonna leave those to him. Okay. Uh, you go first, and I'm gonna think here for a minute. My prediction is in the year 2023, one of the states in our country is going to eliminate vaccine requirements for school entry completely, mm. and we will also wow. see, very sadly, someone die from diphtheria. Ouch! Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know. I've, I'm good news, Karen. In America or where yes, are we? You're in talking, the United in America, States. Diphtheria death. Um, when you say eliminate the requirements, I assume you mean not just having philosophical exemptions, or do you mean just a state go go from like medical and, and religious exemptions to also philosophical exemptions? Nope. I mean a state being like, you know what? You don't have to turn in your vaccine records gonna, at all anymore. I'm going to tell you what that state is. <laughs> it's not my state. 
No, I wonder, I wonder what you think it is. I wonder if we're still thinking of the same. I'm trying to think of a pun on Disney, but I can't off the top of my head. But The, the least happy place on Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 so that's my major concern here. As far as predictions, like what I'm seeing is um, the uh, governor and um, administration in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, rising on the radar and of course that's then looking into 2024 as to how that race is going to go and what impact florida is going to have on that race because it is uh, you know we didn't talk about it in the year in review but so the governor desantis and his essentially i think he's called surgeon general in florida dr ladapo who is like it's an anti-vax just mess right there yeah. and you've got that there the head of their public health just tweeting out putting out just straight up anti-vax stuff stuff about covid vaccines and kids mm-hmm. misleading information just really awful situation. not purchasing not purchasing vaccines for yep. kids yep so if i have any kind of prediction i think that it's that that's going to be impactful negatively on the national scene throughout 2023 and into 2024 yeah, if you want to go to Disney World, I would recommend doing it before 2023 because it's just going to turn into like measles land. That's like 2023 is like next week to our listeners, you know that. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> just don't go. You know what? Just go now. Just go. I will just say once again, I'm just going to put my plug in like my family instead of going to any of the Disney's, we always went to Wisconsin Dells. Now, granted, mm-hmm. it's in Wisconsin. Yeah. So there, there's Wisconsin people there. But also, like, you can buy cheese and sausage in literally every store. Mm-hmm. And it's got, like, the best things to do, like water parks. It is the water park capital of the United States. Yeah. It is also, you know, it's got Ripley's, believe it or not. It's got a lot of fudge stores for some reason. It's got an upside-down White House. It does have an upside-down White yeah. House. Yeah. It's got a, you know, Roman-themed theme park with all the amusement park with all the mm-hmm. rides. Yeah. It's so many things. Duck rides. So, you know, uh, plan your trip to Wisconsin Dells instead. We don't get any money from Wisconsin Dells. No. This is just my, like, really unexplainable love for the place. So, And when you go there, you can, like, also go to the house on the rock on your way there. Well, there's also this hill called, is it called Gravity Hill? Yes. Have you done that? Yes, we have. That thing's crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like you put your car in neutral and it looks like it starts rolling. There's some illusion with the topography that makes it look like you're you're rolling uphill when you're actually rolling downhill. It's it's fun. And there's also Taliesin, like if you want to be a little cultured in spring green. Why are we talking about Wisconsin so much? I don't know. Anyhow. You brought it up. My last prediction, and then we're going to say goodbye, is that in January, one of the first weeks of the year, Voices for Vaccines is going to launch its online course, which is really more like a quest that you take in learning how vaccines work. Cool. It was actually called the Vaccine Quest. So, you know, in January, visit our resources tab on our website and embark on the quest. I'm going to check. That sounds right up my alley. Doesn't it? It it actually. Gamification of vaccines. I can't wait. It is. Well, I'll tell you if you make it all the way through, you are named a vaccine legend. Oh, wow. 
awesome. I know. It's really, it's made for you and with the help of my 14-year-old who helped me name all the levels. So. Sweet. I'm going to ready up. All right. So thank you, everybody, for joining us all year and during this year in review. My name is Karen Ernst. I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra, General Pediatrician here at Blink Jones Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And I am also the chair of our Immunization Coalition, Iowa Immunizes, which Yay. you could find at iowaimmunizes.org. All right, everybody. Uh, take care. Have safe holidays and make it a healthy 2023. To learn more, visit factstalk.org.